This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Ha-cha! Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it's our pleasure to welcome you to episode 498 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. Only, My name is Matt Bomb. Only 10 more to 500. See, you can't even make the math jokes funny. What? You gotta do it closer. You're like, I think that only puts us four episodes away. And I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. On this week's episode, Matt and I will hit you with in-depth reviews of Scarlet Number 1 and House Amok Number 1. After that, we'll review eight more of this Wednesday's new comics during the ludicrous speed round. Then we'll pay a visit to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss our must-read picks for next Wednesday. And finally, Joe and I will live up to our titles as the biggest brains in the comic business when we play Axkanerd. It's all happening in this cosmically charged episode. But before we start telling comic skaters' wives whose side their husbands are really on, we better talk about this week's Nerd News! Hey, great news. Writer Brian Edward Hill and artist Dexter Stoy will launch a new Batman and the Outsiders title spinning out of Hill's run on Detective Comics. Is it great news, though? Because I heard it's not great. I don't know. I heard it's not very good. It's not off to a rollicking start, I'll say that. The team's lineup will consist of Batman, The Signal, Katana. Tired of the signal. I'm tired of The Signal already. I'm over it. Why? He's only appeared in like three comics. <laughs> already over it. <laughs> okay. Katana, Black Lightning, and The Orphan, mm. which is a stupid code name for Cassandra it's Kane. It's so stupid. Yeah. Just call her... Before the reboot, she was called Black Bat. That's a cool name. Call her Black Bat. I'm all right with that. The title's exact premise remains a mystery. Here's a quote from Brian Hill. All I'll say is it's a team book with Batman in it, hmm. <laughs> but the safety is off. Mm. This was in an interview with the Washington Post, of all places. They always hit the detective stories first, though. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Your mm-hmm. detective comics news. Yeah, Washington, Washington Post. <laughs> Hopefully it will be surprising and thrilling in ways that I don't think people will quite expect. I'm becoming known a bit for a certain kind of intensity in my work. Is he? A little full of it or something. I, I mean, <laughs> and I think this Outsiders project will also continue on in that pathway. I'm glad that Brian is pumped about his run. But yeah, w- look, hey, when you start your whatever. quote off with "hopefully it'll be surprising and thrilling," <laughs> uh, I mean, I haven't been reading it, so I can't comment. I just know that I haven't really heard a lot of excitement. It's about not great. It. it is just fine, and this feels like. They're tired of making Detective a team book, so we're going to do it in the Batman and the Outsiders book now. That might be. Which I we I really like this detective team book thing they've got going on. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I have this long love of Batman and the Outsiders. I never even really read it, honestly. I, I don't know much about the old issues. I do like Black Lightning. I don't care about de-aged Black Lightning. I Mm-mm. I don't care about the signal. It just sort of outlived his welcome, and I'm not even sure what the character is supposed to be doing. I don't like Cassandra Kane's name as the orphan. I think it's kind of stupid. I'm fine with Katana, but is she not on the Suicide Squad anymore? Or like, did, are we I changing that? I don't read that book either. So yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. 
I'm not real excited is where I'm at. I, I mean, I, I like the Outsiders as a group, but this is not that group. The, the classic Outsiders is Geoforce, Katana, right. Halo, Metamorpho. Um, that other dude. The Looker, Black Lightning. Oh, yeah, the Looker. Yeah, she was a vampire. <laughs> uh, a vampire supermodel. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not saying they can't change it up. Like there was that Judd Winnick run in the early 2000s that I really liked. That only had yeah, that like, was that was I fun. Think Metamorpho was the only existing character from the original Outsiders that was even on that. But, yeah, I don't totally remember, but I think you're right. But yeah, this is just just like it's like you said. They want to. It's like they're taking the team concept that they have and just shifting it to the left. And I'm just not really yeah. pumped about this creative team and this lineup. Yeah. And I, I don't need another Batman family book if it's just going to be the Batman family. Right. And, it, well, it's going to be Batman being an asshole to a different family, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly. Great. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I don't know. Maybe I'll catch up on this run and see what it's all about. In sad news, J.G. Jones has announced he is taking an extended break from his work as a writer and artist due to the progression of his cancer. I didn't even know he was sick. I didn't either. He said he's got to shut things down for a while to have st- a stem cell transplant. He has a rare blood cancer called... I'm not even going to try and say it. Polycythemia vera. Okay. For the last seven or eight years, and it's been manageable, but in the last year, it's transformed into what they call myelofibrosis, where my bone marrow is beginning to fail. That's bad. Uh, That's really, really bad. Jones' recent work has only been on covers and commissions. A decision, he says, is due to his iffy health, and that's a lot easier than committing to a monthly book. Jones, he says that it's going to be six months before he can even leave the house. I feel like I'm not trying to condemn the man to death. I feel like he's being very positive, and you would have to be in a situation like this. Bone marrow cancer is very, very serious. This is terrible news. Well, we, I mean, we don't know his prognosis, but it, yeah. it sounds very bad. I feel very bad. I love J.G. Jones. Yeah, I really do. I didn't. I didn't even know he was ill, and I just. I hope he recovers. This is terrible, and I hope he's okay. Uh, what you know, whatever we can do, let us know, Mr. Jones. I hope it, this is taken care of. Yeah, call us up. No, I'm talking about the community. Yes, right. Um, the course. royal we. Come on, certainly. Jesus, Joe. Come on. You know what? I'll help out. Joe doesn't want in. No problem. Look, I hate Kate. you. Heard I it hate- here first. <laughs> People with cancer creep me out. Yeah, I'm sorry. So, ugh, they're so sick. No, in all seriousness, all the best to him. I We're big fans, and we're hoping for a full recovery. That really sucks. Yeah. In better news. From the Wooly Toots desk. Somebody, somebody call a doctor, because Toots is on the floor. Writer Jason Aaron, artist Mahmoud Azrar, and colorist Matthew Wilson are your first creative team on Marvel's upcoming Conan the Barbarian. This was announced on Marvel.com yesterday. The series is scheduled to launch in January 2019. Here's a quote from Jason Aaron. I've literally been preparing for this job since I was 13 and discovered my first Robert E. Howard Conan trade paperback. I guess it would just be a paperback because it would be a book. Sure. In a used bookstore in my little hometown of Jasper, Alabama. That is adorable. That is cute. Uh, Yeah, Jason Aaron, obviously born to write Conan. I yeah. don't think anybody would argue that. On Twitter, he said he went to the Marvel office and threatened to beat up any artist, any writer they were going to give it to. <laughs> yeah, and they yeah, were like, yeah. Jason, we were planning on giving it to you. Right. And he was like, all right then. Yeah, that's, <laughs> you better. Uh, Mag- Mahmoud Asrar is a great artist that He's I really enjoy. super talented. I'm having a hard time picturing him drawing Conan the Barbarian. 
But I think it'll be fine. I, think I, be I mean, fine. it'll look good. He's a good artist. Yeah, I, I, he's, and the, he's very and talented. You succeed in Conan with the main character and facial expressions. You don't exceed with big sweeping backgrounds and stuff. You know, like he needs to tone his stuff down a little bit to give it that sort of Conan, that uh, Robert E. Howard fantasy feel. And I'm curious to see how he does it. I think he is a very talented artist that should not have a problem doing it. Yeah. I mean, it was kind of weird when they said Stuart Eminem was going to draw Star Wars. Yeah. And that and book was freaking... Look how that turned out. Amazing. Oh, my God. This is going to be Marvel's first Conan the Barbarian title in 25 years. It uh, previously was with Dark Horse. Uh, prior to that, though, Marvel... Another, another nail in the Dark Horse coffin. Yeah, really. <laughs> uh, Marvel had the Conan comic book license from its inception in the mid-70s yeah. all the way up to 1993. Here's more from Aaron. The big initial arc we're doing in this new series is very much done in reverence to Robert E. Howard and those original stories. One of the things that initially pulled me into the character was the fact that with each story, Howard jumped to a different point in Conan's life where he was in a different setting, interacting with different characters and living a very different life. So this is exactly what we were hoping for. We didn't want to see the continuing saga of Conan day by day. No, it should be story by story. It should be moments in Conan's sure, life. Sure, almost you know? like an anthology of yeah, Conan stories. Absolutely. He loved the grand and epic scope of Conan's overall journey. And so with this new series, instead of picking up just one period from Conan's life and doing stories only set within that, our opening 12-issue arc will thread together many different periods and aspects of Conan's journey from Samaria to Aquilonia and beyond. Awesome. The story is called The Life and Death of Conan. I love it. I love it. That's the thing that, like, when you're doing a Conan story, it can seem like you're reined in. Like, oh, we got to tell another fantasy barbarian story, whatever. That's not it at all. You can do whatever you want with Conan. Travel through time. Show him as a little kid. Show him as an old man. Show him Conan the king. Conan the thief. Conan the sailor man, which happened. He got on a pirate ship for a while there. Yeah, yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> I love this team. I really, really hope that Jason Aaron is so busy thinking about this that it's dumbed his Avengers down a little bit and he hasn't necessarily like lost anything, you know? <laughs> no, he confirmed that he's staying on all his existing books yes. and he's got another new project coming out that uh, he can't talk about yet. So. He's a busy dude. Uh, Isad Ribic is scheduled to draw the primary covers for the series. Beautiful. Totally awesome. Beautiful. This sounds kick-ass. Totally kick-ass. And Marvel's ramp up to this new, is it Amazon series? That doing? I think it is an Amazon. I think it's the Amazon series, TV yeah. series, right? I yeah. think so. I can't remember. Regardless, super pumped for this. I know Toots, our resident Conan fan, losing his mind on Twitter. He's super excited about this. Yeah, he went. I think he he said something yesterday about how uh, he went to a comic convention in Kansas City earlier this year, or maybe last year, and like threatened Jason Aaron. He's like, "You have to write Conan." So there you go. <laughs> there you go. Thank Every you, Willie Toots. Without him. Jason Aaron would not be doing this. We've got some late breaking news okay. that didn't make it into the script. These things were announced like literally at the end of the day on Friday, okay. which is a real dumb time to announce news. Um, Marvel is reviving the Defenders. Saw that. But the classic Defenders. Right. So Hulk, Hulk Doctor Strange, Namor, and Silver Surfer. Right. Um, it's going to be a series of one shots with a final issue with the team all together by various creative teams. Al Ewing is involved, Jason Latour. Hot take. Do you think the Defenders is a dated idea? I have never really been into the Defenders. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, in any iteration. Yeah, literally in any iteration. I don't really understand what they're 
point was? So the 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 tagline of the defenders is that they're a non-team. I don't even know what that means. Yeah, that's just dumb. If you're getting together for adventures every month, you're then team. you are a fucking you're team, a team. guy. Bad news, yeah. you're dating, you know? Uh but yeah, whatever. I mean, it's a it's a cool classic lineup. The the posters by Ron Garney were all very badass. Like Right. It should be good. I mean, I like Al Ewing, I like Jason Latour. If you're dating a dude and he says he doesn't like titles, guess what? That dude's sleeping with somebody else. All right? There you go. <laughs> what? It's my problem with the Defenders. This non-team Oh, bullshit. yeah. Well, I don't want to label it. Yeah. I don't want to... We, wanna... we just don't like labels, bro. Yeah. You know? Oh, you're, yeah, you're sleeping around Yeah, then. we're woke as fuck. You know? Yeah, sure you are, Defenders. I don't care about the Defenders. I never really have... I don't... First of all, I don't like the Hulk on teams, period. Yeah, that's fair. I don't like the Hulk on teams. I don't particularly care for the Silver Surfer on teams either. That's not really his jam. It's weird. Yeah. I mean, he's a cosmic lone figure that flies maybe around we would think space. It, maybe we would think it was less weird if we had read the Defenders growing up. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm not saying I've never read Defenders. I have read some Defenders. Well, sure, me too. I just never really cared. I, yeah, I just, I don't really get it. Yeah, Wasn't the Beast a Defender for a while, too? Uh, so, yeah, in the, the original group was the four, and then later on they added characters like um, Valkyrie, Valkyrie and there. Hellcat. Yeah, that's right. And then they kind of, like, relaunched like a soft relaunch in the early 80s I where remember it became that. the new defenders and they were like kind of tough and dark. No, not really, but it was like Angel, Beast, Iceman. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Uh Moon Dragon. Yeah, it was, it was like a, X-Men it's and a weird kind of team, yeah. It's never been good lineups. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's sort of like the champions, right? It right. uh Hercules, Black Widow, uh Ghost Rider? Yeah. The not Avengers. The uh, Angel? Yeah. Like, it, that's, like, it's just a weird hodgepodge of characters yeah. that don't really belong together. I'm not saying this couldn't be good. I, I just, I'm not excited. And then uh, this I didn't even read until I woke up this morning. Uh, apparently, Disney has postponed Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 indefinitely. Yep. Because they don't have anybody to direct it. Yeah. They have not hired anybody. Yep. And rumor going around is they approached several people that are friends with James Gunn that he knows well, and they were just like, nope, sorry. Not yeah, because it's like crossing a picket line, right? It's yeah. like, no way, you don't want to do that. You fucked up, Disney. You <laughs> fucked up. You fucked up with one of the hottest guys in Hollywood right now. Yep. Are, you have just blacklisted this movie. You caved to the wrong crowd. Yeah. And now you're paying for it. So, yeah. great job. Too bad. Yep. Live with it. <laughs> That's your nerd news for the week, but there's still plenty to scream about, so hit us up on the THN Forum's big news section, or better yet, Call us every Saturday from 11.30 to 12.30 Central Standard Time. Sometimes I think it's supposed to be Central Daylight Time, but I don't know. No, I don't know enough about that. CST, right? Pacific Standard Time. Yeah, but... Eastern Standard Time. But sometimes it switches to Daylight Time, like during Daylight Savings Time, so it's CDT. No, I think, you, I, I think you're making that up. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, during that time... Australian <laughs> Standard Time. <laughs> right. Gre- Greenwich Mean Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if you're on the other side of the Prime Meridian, you can call us every Saturday from 1130 to 1230 and talk to us live on THN Cover to Cover. It's your nerdy call-in show, and we can't do it without you. We won't do it without you. That's right. I'll just leave. I'll get up and leave. Call us at 402-819-4894, or you can leave a message on our voicemail. You can also send an MP3 to 2 nerd at gmail.com. It's like sports talk radio minus the sports a little less sexist than machismo and way more shit talking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Tons of shit talking. I don't know that necessarily sports talk radio is sexist, but it feels like it might be. Uh, I mean, you know. Depends on the show. Yeah. Depends on the show. Broads, am I right? 
It's review time in the Ziggurat, where Joe and I put on our monocles and smoking jackets to have a sensible discussion of two of this week's comics in the den, while the Moloids prepare the dojo for the ludicrous speed round. Joey, why don't you get us started? All right, this week I'm reviewing House Amok number one from IDW's Black Crown imprint. It's written by Christopher Sabella, with art by Sean McManus, and colors by Lee Loffridge. It's 32 pages for $3.99, and here is your solicit. Ten-year-old fraternal twin Dylan Sandifer and her family have fallen down a rabbit hole full of secret implants, conspiracy theories, Mandela effects, extra-dimensional invaders, and organ thieves. Yuck. Yeah. As the attacks against them intensify, the Sandifers light out on a cross-country search for answers and salvation, blazing a bloody path of torture, arson, and moida. Can young Dylan save her family from these delusions, or is this ornate conspiracy actually true? Question is it mark? just me, or is Sabella always fallen back on this old trope? I mean, uh, come on, man. Shared <laughs> delusions. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times. Writer Christopher Sabella is back with yet another high-concept story, this time about a family that may or may not be suffering from a shared delusion about a race of extra-dimensional creatures that have invaded our reality to harvest the souls of humanity. Sure. That old chestnut. Yeah. <laughs> the story is told in flashback from the point of view of Dylan, one of the 10-year-old Sandifer twin daughters, as she recounts the summer that her family cut a bloody swath across the Pacific Northwest, searching for answers and quote-unquote saving the unfortunate victims of the Slipper Men. Good Lord. <laughs> the Sandifers wholeheartedly believe in their cause and the danger only they can see, and thanks to Sabella's excellent dialogue, you believe it too. That is, until someone snaps out of it. <laughs> Now, I don't know what's real, and I don't know what's unreal, but I can't wait to find out. I've always liked Sean McManus. He was a mainstay in the earlier Vertigo days. He drew an arc of Sandman. He did a bunch of Sandman tie-in books. And his weird animated style is right at home at Black Crown. He packs a ton of content into every page, and his panels are laid out like perfectly framed camera shots. His use of tightly framed panels and extreme camera angles adds to the unsettling feel of the story. It really does add like a cinematic feel to the visuals. Lee Loffridge uses a minimal faded color palette, giving the issue kind of a dreamlike ethereal quality. Christopher Sabella, the dude is more than just an idea man in a luscious beard. He's he's a crazy person. It's true. He's delivered on concept after concept, joining with top-notch, up-and-coming, or underappreciated creators. And I've enjoyed each one of them, and House Amok is no exception. I'm giving it a buy it. So far, I have to say, I think the, the whole Black Crown experiment has just been wonderful. It's been great. Yeah, like, I don't love I, every book, but overall, I think they're doing very good work. Oh, they're killing it. I think they're just nailing it here, and I loved... This was like, what if Don Bluth, who gave you beloved movies like... Rock a doodle and all dogs go to heaven. Made a psychotic family picture. <laughs> Rock a doodle. Huh? That was it, your go to? 
Yeah, Rockadoodle. You don't remember Rockadoodle? Yeah, well, I remember Rockadoodle. <laughs> yeah, I, I really enjoyed this. It's super fun. It's somewhere in between Natural Born Killers and American Psycho, where you really don't know what is real and what is not. It's kind of Twin Peaksy. Definitely. It's out of the insane mind of one of my favorite writers right now, and you should absolutely buy this. I agree. All right, Matt. The Moloids are almost ready. We've just about got enough time to squeeze in one more review. My review for this week is Scarlet, number one, from DC Jinx World, written by Brian B.M. Bendis, with art by Alex Mayleave. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here is your solicit. From the creative team that brought you Daredevil and the infamous Iron Man comes the latest explosive chapter in their creator-owned epic, which IGN called one of the best comics on the stands. I'm just throwing that out there. Scarlet tells the story of a woman whose life has been ripped apart by police corruption. When she pushes back, she starts a chain reaction of events that will bring about the next American Revolution! If IGN says it, it has to be true. Absolutely. In this brand new reader-friendly chapter, fully painted by Eisner Award-winning artist Alex Mayleave, Scarlet tells the story of what happens when one young woman is pushed too far and what one country will do to stop her. It has been two years since we last saw Scarlet over at Marvel's Icon imprint, but now that Bendis has moved into the DCU, he's bringing his creator-owned books with him. Maybe no word on powers yet. We don't know. When we last saw Scarlet... episode... (laughs) 499 for news on powers. Oh, when we last saw Scarlet issue number 10 back in 2016, the police and Portland civilians had moved their conflict to open warfare in the streets. Here we flash forward and downtown Portland has been cut off from the rest of the city with all the major bridges destroyed. There's no power. There's drone strikes and Scarlet's group of freedom fighters are becoming increasingly desperate. It's impossible not to compare this title to Brian Wood's DMZ at Vertigo, which visited a near future where Brooklyn had become a demilitarized zone while the country was fighting between militias that owned most of the mainland and a crooked U.S. government. Scarlet's plight feels a little more like the final act of Dark Knight Rises, but it's the people versus the man theme of DMZ that still very much comes through here. Bendis returns to his fourth wall breaking narrative with Scarlet speaking in boxes directly to the reader, detailing what's happened since we saw her last. And it's a great device. It brings readers new and old up to speed when she's addressing other characters in the story. Her word balloons become round, which illustrates that only we can hear the square dialogue, which it, I thought was kind of cool. It threw me it's off at first. Used to it do. took me a while to remember that that's what he did. They did that for a while for in the old series, and then he sort of got away from it towards the end. I don't know why, but I'm glad it's back. Mayleave is here at his Mayleaviest, as usual, photo referencing both his characters and backgrounds. Normally, Joe and I will tend to rail against photo referencing, but Mayleave seems to be an exception. In short, he's really good at it, and here, his gritty inking and shading gives the story the real-world documentary war movie look that it needs. I did notice that occasionally some of his characters can become almost faceless in the sense that it seems like maybe he's reusing the same face on some background characters now and again. Not a big deal. I get it. Well, I I noticed a lot of what seemed to be um, background cheating (laughs) where he a little bit. Yeah, just here and there. digitally filtered photos. I mean, I don't know if that's what he did, but that's kind of what it looks like. I think he's been doing that for a long time, though, and yeah, we haven't really been just, complaining about it. I felt like I noticed it more this time, though. 
Okay. I'm happy to have Scarlet back, even if it's just for the end of her story, which, judging where we're at by the last page here, I'm guessing is coming fairly soon. <laughs> Bendis and Maylieve have become an instantly recognizable team, though, with serious storytelling style that lends itself perfectly to Scarlet's war with the police. I'm giving this a buy it. You know, I'm giving it a skim it, not because I didn't think it was decent, but because as somebody who did not follow the main of the original volume, I didn't think it was as new reader friendly as it proclaimed to be. Like, technically speaking, yeah, it did recap everything that happened. But I lacked that connection to the story up to date. You know what I mean? I'll give you that. So like, I'll definitely I, give you that. I read that story and I felt nothing for her plight or for the other characters or I didn't know whether or not even any of the people in the book other than Scarlet were like ongoing supporting characters that cause they were right. so fleetingly referenced. If this suffers, I think it definitely suffers from distance and it's gotta be very, it is very difficult to bring a new reader into a situation where the main character sort of turns and looks at them and goes, so my boyfriend got shot and then we took over the whole city and now the U S government's trying to kill us. Right. Yeah, you up to speed? Okay, cool. Here we <laughs> <All> go. <right. laughs> and you, you know? said that the last issue was number 10, but didn't it reboot once before? Like, didn't Icon... Wasn't there two Icon volumes? Uh, no, I think there was one through five. There was a long break, and then we got six through 10. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely the distance is a factor, because I remember reading the first couple issues. Right. And I have, like no memory of anything beyond that and so jumping into this it was like jumping into it cold i think this is the sort of book where you kind of need the backstory and if you don't have it you're not gonna you're not gonna be into it i will say it was still pretty fresh for me i just reread the trade that i have of the first scarlet a couple weeks ago looking forward to this and because i couldn't remember i was like do i like that i can't even remember i bought the trade <laughs> and I'd never cracked it. So I felt better doing that, but I agree. It might not be as reader-friendly as it proclaims itself to be. So that is a double buy it for House Amok, number one, and a buy it and a skim it for Scarlet, number one. We're going to post our written reviews, and we're really going to do it this time, over at TwoHeadedNerd.com, so you nerds can use them as incriminating evidence against us in any further ventures we may take. And... You creators can say, hey, these assholes really like this. I'm going to take one of their quotes and put it right on the cover. Just be like, I thought this book was totally heckin' rad. Map on. Two-headed nerd, you know? <laughs> Call us, email us, and tweet at us, or Facebook us too, because we want your opinions on these books. You can also just head over to the THN forums and tell us what you thought right over in the new comic section. The summer is at its end. The kiddies are back in school. Matt was going to make a baseball reference here, but he knew there was no way I could deliver it convincingly. So instead, I'll make a sad reference about not being invited to Matt's secret fantasy football league with Jason Sachs and Daniel Elkin and Roderick Ruth and, well, not me, because some people think I'm not serious enough about football and dragons, but I'm not complaining. No, I'm just going to sit here and not belabor the point while we review eight more comics during the ludicrous speed round. It's what you get for cheating. Ludicrous me. speed! Go! Venom, the first host number one from Marvel. 
With a Venom movie on its way, watch out for a million Marvel Venom titles hitting the shelves, starting with this one from writer Mike Costa and artist Mark Bagley. The story focuses on Venom's cosmic origins in the Kree-Skrull War and features some hot, full-frontal Kree nudity. Costa's script was dumb at best, but I feel like Venom is being tailored to resemble a balance of the big-screen Venom and old-school Venom. But with dialogue like, Get out of here, kid. Venom will handle this imposter like spaghetti. We love spaghetti. And Eddie Brock calling the new symbiote Venom that the suit made their baby over and over and over again. I found myself barely caring at all. This felt like a comic right off the stands in 1998. I'm giving it a skim it because I like Bagley's art. New Mutants, Dead Souls, number six from Marvel. I know Matt didn't really dig the first issue, but I ended up really enjoying this series from Matthew Rosenberg and Adam Gorham. This, yeah, I gotta read it. I heard it was fun. Yeah. This final question mark issue is full of twists, and it's steeped in classic New Mutants lore. I really like this team of creators and characters, and I hope they get a shot at a follow-up series. New Mutants Dead Souls number six gets a buy it. Beyonders number one from Aftershock. Jacob and his corgi live a lonely life in Alaska where they collect conspiracy theories and look for hidden cryptographic messages. That is until Jacob realizes he's wasted his time on codes and fantasies and now he's not getting into fucking college. But! Way to go. Then he finds out all his conspiracy theories are real and his whole life has been a lie. Paul Jenkins writes this clever comic that comes complete with coded messages in the panels that readers can solve to win prizes. I thought it was kind of neat. It's a fun story, too. Good art from Alex St. Clair or Mark St. Clair. Good art from St. Clair. I'm giving it a buy it. What does this guy think Bat he Girl. is, Matt Kent? <laughs> Batgirl, number 26, DC. After a short intro story last issue, the new creative team of Margaret Scott, Paul Pelletier, Norm Ratmond, and Jordi Belair put Babs through the ringer. An old enemy has returned, more violent and twisted than ever, and he proves himself to be more than a match for Batgirl. This issue has a nice balance of character and action. It's a bit less cutesy than the Batgirl of Burnside stuff, which wasn't my cup of tea. And mm. it focuses on the things that make Barbara Gordon such an interesting character. Plus, I've been a fan of Paul Pelletier's art since the early 90s when he was yeah, doing that- stuff. That dude rules. He is so good. So I am always happy to see his name on a major title. He's a jobber. He's a good working dude. Absolutely. Yeah. I really like He's a jabroni. He's he's a a straight up jabroni. (laughs) You heard it here first. Paul Pelletier is a real jabroni. (laughs) I really like this issue. I'm giving Batgirl 26 a buy it. Rick and Morty versus Dungeons and Dragons number one from IDW. D&D is cool at Morty's school, and of course he wants to play so he can get laid, because my, how times have changed. (laughs) In typical Rick and Morty fashion, Morty finds the game to be too boring, so Rick helps him actually become a character, and fantasy madness ensues. IDW D&D writer Jim Zub teams up with co-writer Patrick Rothfuss for a Rick and Morty story set in the world of D&D, and it's exactly what you'd expect. I think Rick and Morty, however, just works better as a TV show. But this wasn't bad. It's just, I don't know. Some of the best things about Rick and Morty is the timing of the jokes. And when you're reading it, you really got to do those voices in your head or it's tough to find it funny. I'm giving it a skim it. 
Patrick Rothfuss is like a legit fantasy author, so it's so weird to see him writing shit like this. Okay. It's not I the first time not either, though. Lex Luthor, Porky Pig, number one from DC. Facing financial and personal ruin, a desperate Porky Pig gets an entry-level position at LexCorp, where he becomes Lex Luthor's most loyal employee and defender. But when a major scandal breaks in the news and Lex is called before Congress, guess who is about to be offered up to take the fall? It's Porky. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is another stellar DC Looney Tunes team-up that's way better than it has any right to be, and that's thanks in no small part to lead story creators Mark Russell and Brad Walker. The backup story is done in the traditional Looney Tunes style, and it's forgettable, but Russell has put his brilliant satirical spin on yet another childhood property. Lex Luthor and Porky Pig gets a huge buy it. To contrast, Joker slash Daffy Duck number one from DC. DC is trying to recapture the lightning in a bottle. That was last year's DC WB crossovers featuring your favorite heroes and villains teaming up with your favorite Looney Tunes. Here, the Joker hires Daffy Duck as his latest henchman and instantly falls in love with his lunatic plans and acne products. Brett Booth is at his thin-lined 90s best here, but Scott Lobdell's story just didn't do anything for me. I'm sorry, but Daffy Duck is crazy. He's a shitty person. He's not evil. Not a bad guy. This was trying too hard to be funny and wacky, and ultimately it was just kind of boring and it didn't work. I'm giving it a skim it. Submerged, number two from Vault Comics. I'd heard quite a few good things about this new series from writer Vita Ayala and artist Lisa Sturley. And the good folks at Vault Comics helped me get caught up. Thank you, guys. So They are nice peeps. They I are. like the Vault Comics peeps. Submerged is the story of a young woman trying to find her brother in the terrifying depths of the New York City subway system on the night of the worst storm the city has ever seen. The further she gets, the more her surroundings dissolve into some sort of supernatural, uh, Hades-esque underworld nightmare. I was a little confused by what was going on in a few panels, but I really like this overall. Inventive story, nice art, beautiful painted coloring by yeah. Staladia. Yeah. Submerged number two gets a buy it. This series is really good. Yeah, I read the, I reviewed the first one. I really liked it. Oh, you did? I don't remember that. Uh, that's why we're going to start keeping the reviews. All right. <laughs> there you go. I think it's K-Zap. 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 That, <laughs> that's K-Zar's brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is your ludicrous speed round in. K-Zap is the sound of Golden Gale reanimating Talkie Walkie as seen in the pages of Black Hammer, Age of Doom number four. This onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Jesse Kiefer. Love that guy. King of sound effects. Love that guy. Via the THN Facebook fan page. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, you can reanimate the corpse of your choice. I mean, he's a robot, but still. This reanimation's reanimation, baby. And send it marching to the ziggurat, or just submit it to any of our social media, or shoot an email at twoheadednerd at gmail.com. And hey, while you're at that, while you're on the internet, check out the Grawlix podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's where Jesse Kiefer lives. They're good dudes. Yeah, it's a good show. Now that Joe's done crying about being voted off Fantasy Football Island, it's time to retire to the Teach in Sanctum Sanctorum, where we're channeling the ghost of Darwin Cook 
to tweet some colorful responses to comic skaters that try to claim the late artist as one of their champions. Joe, my thumbs are actually killing me. This guy is on a roll. What do you say we take a break and talk about our must-read comics for next week? I mean, aren't we also claiming him as our champion? No, we just let him talk. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're giving up. We're giving up our bodies. There is no other side. That's I, what we have to do. That's no, how we I understand. win this battle. There get, is no other side. I'm with you. I'm with you. Uh, and to be quite honest, I have never felt more free uh, than when you decided to shut down the teach and fantasy football league. <laughs> so thank you, coward. My pick for next week is Border Town number one from Vertigo Comics. It's written by Eric M. Esquivel. 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 With art by Ramon Villal. <laughs> Listen, I'm sorry. Were you trying to get all sexy there? No, like, I mean, I'm trying to pronounce it correctly. Ramon Villalobos. You didn't hear me roll my R's. <laughs> the art is by Ramon Villalobos. I'm sorry. Lobos. Villa. Villa Lobos. Villa Lobos. It's probably not Villa Lobos. It, yeah, it's it is. It means the village of the wolves. Villa Lobos. I think it's more like Bob Villa. No. Bob Vila is an American dude. No. Villa Lobos. Villa, Villa Lobos. Listen, Ramon, call us and let us know. Ramon Wolf Village. <laughs> it's 32 pages for $3.99. Wolf Village. That's, That's what a that means. Badass name. I, mean, I get it. Yeah. Don't miss the start of this all new ongoing Vertigo series by writer Eric M. and Don't, Ramon. <laughs> when a crack in the border between worlds releases an army of monsters from Mexican folklore, the residents of Devil's Fork, Arizona, blame the ensuing weirdness, the shared nightmares, the otherworldly radio transmissions, the mysterious goat mutilations on, quote, God dang illegals. Okay, to be fair. If you are coming from a bordering reality and entering the United States... You are an illegal. You are an illegal. I mean... <laughs> I'm not saying you're taking our other monsters' jobs or anything. Yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah, going yeah. that far. <laughs> you're like, it's like... Whatever well, happened to good old American monsters, you know? The, the Sasquatches are pissed. You want some Mexican monster eating your kid? Fuck no! <laughs> With racial tensions supernaturally charged, it's up to new kid in town, Frank Dominguez, and a motley crew of high school misfits to discover what's really going on in this town torn between worlds. Sounds awesome. It is awesome. Sounds it totally awesome. Totally kick-ass. Like taken from the headlines and ruined by nerds. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, totally. I love it. I love it. Very excited. <laughs> Matt, what's your pick? My pick goes to James Bond, Origin, number one, written by Jeff Parker with art by Bob Q. Oh. Yeah, mysterious, right? 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. Chapter one, the greatest days. At last, the definitive account of James Bond's exploits during World War II? I mean, he was a spy in the 60s. I mean, I guess. But like, he's also this also feeds the theory that there's been a bunch of different James Bonds. Nah. Not just one. Nah, nah, it's a code nah. name only. No. March 1941, 17-year-old James Bond is a restless student in Scotland, an orphan, eager to strike out and make his mark on the world. But a visit by an old family friend coincides with the Clydebank Blitz, the most devastating German attack on Scotland during the war. James will fight through hell to survive, coming out the other side determined to make a difference. He'll find his calling in a new British government service. Secret in nature. Period. 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 You can't tell me that there's been a dozen James Bond when they keep referring to the Bond family. No. I, it's one guy. Here's, where's the theory on that, too? Yes, there was one guy. 
And then England realized they must always have a James Bond. No, it's yes. there's one guy named James Bond, and there's been multiple 007s. We'll talk about that. You know what? I'm adding that to the list, cover to cover. Uh, I want to hear your James Bond theories. I think they show his parents' graves in one of the movies. They did, but that doesn't mean that... Sure, I, look... We don't know. Maybe that's all a code. Maybe it's all a cover. You don't know, dude. They're playing you. Joe Patrick, you think you know. You don't know. The THN trade of the week goes to something far less confusing than James Bond's origin. The New Gods by Jack Kirby. Trade paperback from DC Comics. It's written and illustrated by Jack Kirby. It's 440 pages for $29.99. Here's your solicit. At last, DC collects New Gods! The centerpiece of Jack Kirby's Fourth World Saga in its own trade paperback. They've done it before, though, right? They did the hardcover one. This is the softcover version. I'm looking for I've it. got the hardcover one. It may not I be right it. there. I yeah. see it right there. Yeah. This is the softcover version. I have the hardcover. This title introduces the sprawling cast from the Twin Worlds. Oh, you know what? They did black and white versions. That's what I'm thinking of, like Essentials. They did that they, too. They did those paperback the one the, completes, but the, the hardcovers hard are in color. color. Yeah. yeah. This title introduces the sprawling cast from the twin worlds of New Genesis and Apocalypse, including Darkseid, Orion, Highfather, Light Ray, and many, many more. Glorious Godfrey. Yeah. Uh, Captain Bedlam. I can't even. I. Granny goodness. A granny goodness. I knew that one. Uh, Bug, probably. Bug is there. Metron. Right. Big Barda. Big Barda. Lashina. This collection includes New Gods 1 through 11, plus... You could have made that last one up. I wouldn't even know. She's a female fury. Plus... <laughs> I was guessing she wasn't a dude. Right. <laughs> plus the 48-page story, Even Gods Must Die, from 1984, and the original 1985 graphic novel, The Hunger Dogs. What a big package. If she was a dude, that's fine, though. What a big package. I don't just, you know, whatever, Lashina. You do you. No, Lashina. She is don't reach a it. female fury. Just saying, don't at me, Okay. If she's a dude, that's fine. We're, We're not, not judging. No. All right. Listen, buy this book. Jack Kirby's uh, New Gods is like formative comic book oh, yeah. experience. Get high. Everyone needs to read, read it. this. Woo! You might look, <laughs> you might not love it. It might break your brain. It is something. But Jack Kirby's work, especially on the fourth world, is like wackadoo. At his peak creativity. <laughs> yeah. His most Jack Kirbyist, if you will. 450 pages for 30 bucks. Dang, yeah. A good deal. Not bad. Don't forget, nerds, new comic book day is just one week away. So don't forget to get these comics added to your pull files now. You just might save your local comic store by doing so. If it's not too late. That's right. The place might be in flames already. Every now and again, Matt and I like to remind you, nerds, just how good we are at comic booking by playing a little game we like to call Ask a Nerd. This week, friend of the show, Black Scorpion the Three, asks, The Avengers have their Avengers Assemble rallying cry. I can't think of any other groups that have that. I would imagine it as a reoccurring Marvel thing, because well, I stop at a good thing, of course. But I can't think of others, and I'm wondering if DC has an equivalent at all. I think Teen Titans Go was introduced to the cartoon, but not something Teen Titans had historically used in the comics. You guys got anything? <laughs> So, not individuals. No, I, I'm adapting this question to include battle cries. I'm saying we Any can, kind of comic book battle cry. Let's discuss some individuals afterwards. Okay, If fine. you want, that's fine. But team, specifically, because at first I thought, I can think of a million. They're, no, you can't. They're all individuals. 
They're all individuals. Uh, they, I have a couple, and they are both DC. Okay. Uh, well, let's start there because I feel like DC is the is the biggest mystery. I could not think of a single DC oh, team. I did think of an X- I did think of a Marvel one. Okay. Uh, so DC has uh, Titans together. That's okay. That's right. Which is kind of the classic cheesy thing that they used to shout. Super cheese ball. Uh, there's Titans also- together. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I frankly, team- I'd be like, "Oh shit! Did you hear what those guys said? We're screwed." <laughs> right. Oh no, brother blood. What will we do? The Titans are together. Uh, I mean, frankly, I think Teen Titans Go is much better. And every time they, yeah. every time Robin shouts "Teen Titans Go" on the cartoon, I think it's, it's like, "Oh fun!" Right. Um, long live the Legion. Uh, not really a rallying cry, but it's something they shout all the time. Yeah. I'll give Green Lantern. I'll give them the Green Lantern Corps in in Brightest Day and Darkest Night. Well, um, yeah, but that's not something they shout before they go into battle. They've done. I've seen them do it plenty of times. That's the oath they recite when they recharge their batteries. Yeah, but I've also seen them do it plenty of times. All right. Jeff all right. Johns loved that shit in his run, where like one of them would start it, and another one would say another part of it, and the other one would say it, and then by the end it would be like Hal Jordan, beware my power, Green Lantern's light, and then they'd all shoot, you know. Uh, Mogo that's gone bad or something and blow it up and, and we'd feel, <laughs> yeah, I think, and we'd feel bad. Wow, what an <laughs> epic story you've concocted. Um, on the What's Mar- the other evil planet? Mogo and Warworld? I don't know. I guess Warworld, yeah. yeah. I mean, but Warworld is not a, a planet. It's like a space station. It's like a yeah. like a construct. That's no moon. Right, yeah. yeah. It, it a Death Star. Yeah. Um, was there an evil version of Mogo? A counterpart? There had to have been. Yeah, because I remember there was a story where they, like, they fought. Because that's Jeff Johns' whole bag is like there. Yeah, there was a whole Sinestro world. Yeah, and I can't I, oh, remember what it was. Um, well, they they were their headquarters was on Quard in the antimatter universe, but I mean, didn't but they had like a planet member too. Yeah, there was definitely you know, a yellow like a scary planet. We'll never know. Yeah, uh, on the Marvel side, the only one I can think of other than Avengers Assemble is to me my X Men. Yeah. I mean, I guess that counts. Professor X used to say that all the time. I would I go. It's group. I would go out and yell related. at the pugs all the time. To me, pugs. <laughs> uh, BS3 has Did, a secondary question. What hold would, on, hold on, hold on. Didn't the invaders say something? I don't know. I never read the invaders. I'm trying to think. Well, there's got to be more. There has to be more. Let's get invading. No. Um, Didn't the Thor Corps say something? <laughs> Thor core stairs. I'm really Thor. <laughs> We're all Thor. We're so Thor right now. Yeah, this is a tough one. Uh, so he's got a secondary question. What would the West Coast Avengers rallying cry be? Uh, his suggestion was, what's side? <laughs> That's not bad. That's not bad. What's side? Uh, Brian Domingos on the forums suggested other Avengers assemble. <laughs> <laughs> Which I also really like. That's a tough one. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about battle cries, individual battle cries. I mean, so obvious. It's clobbering time. It's obviously the best. It's clobbering Number time. One. Is definitely a great one. Number one with um, a bullet. There is, um, uh, like, by the hoary hosts of Hagas. Sure. You know, and Flame that sort on. of thing. Flame on, right? Yeah. Um, I, I love a good, like, catchphrase, a good comic book catchphrase. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's clobbering time. All my stars and garters. Not really a battle cry. That's no, those aren't battle cries. Right, yeah. Okay, let's stick to battle cries. So things that you're going to hear battle when cries. shit's Not about to go down. phrases. Battle cries. It's clobbering time. Flame on. Oh, you know another team I didn't even think about? A team that has a cry. G.I. Joe. Oh, yo, Joe. Yo, 
Joe! Oh, hell yes. Come on. Can't believe we didn't think about that. Yeah. Maybe Come we're, on. We're not as good at this game as your... That's so easy. How did I miss that? It's not, we're not as good at this game as our intro implied. I know, right? And like, technically, G.I. Joe, they were Marvel for a while. That counts. A long time, many years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That counts. Larry Hamill, come kick you in the crotch if you disagree. That's right. Mighty Mouse. Here I come to save the day. That's yeah, yeah, one yeah. of my favorites. God, I love that one. So good. Superman. Did Superman only say up, up, and away? Uh, this looks like a job for Superman. Yeah. Is something you would hope. That was really more from the cartoon, if I recall. And okay. I think they incorporated it into the comics. But I think that was also like, like old school radio show and TV show, too. Up, up, and away was definitely like... That was the radio show, how they, like, Superman's getting ready to fly, up, up, and away, and then they make the, and he's flying around. Well, and really, he says it to himself. This looks like a job for Superman is something he says to himself. Yeah, not so much a battle To get himself psyched up. Uh, Oh, for Asgard. Yeah. That's a good one. The Asgardians yell that shit all the time. Yeah. Aha! Spoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Spoon. Spoon. Yes. Yeah, Michelangelo used to yell Cowabunga. Cowabunga, Imperious Rex. Cowabunga! Silver Surfer shouting Imperious Rex. Silver Surfer? I'm sorry, Submariner. (laughs) Submariner shouting (laughs) Imperious Rex. Uh, And if you heard that, you were in some shit. Yeah, he was about to punch your face off. He was about to flood your whole damn city. And I think maybe the most famous uh, superhero battle cry other than it's clobbering time is probably Hulk smash. Yeah, that, oh man. Absolutely. Yeah, if you heard that, you're in big trouble. Yeah. You're about to get smashed. I mean, you're likely going to be the subject of some smash. You notice these are all Marvel characters. DC really doesn't do this. Yeah, well, like, Batman doesn't shout stuff before he punches a dude. No, you know? no. I mean, and, like... Flash doesn't have one that I know of. None of them really Green do. Lantern doesn't have one. Yeah. I mean, I guess... It... No, I think it was really a Marvel thing. Battle cries. I love them, though. I think they're great fun. I'm totally down with it, yeah. It seems like the DC, like, when they did it, it was always, like, a legitimate group, and this is part of what our group does. The Green Lantern. Oath, sure. The Legion Lumbino, or whatever they the, the Legion Lumbino. <laughs> What's a Lumbino? I don't know. <laughs> Lumbago is a disease. The Legion Lumbago. <laughs> So there you go, Black Scorpion, the three. It's tough. There aren't as many as we thought. There's plenty of superhero battle cries. There's a million catchphrases. I'm not even going to go into but that. But team group rallying cries, that's I can tough. only think of a handful. Yeah, that's really tough. Let's bring it back. Okay. THN. Our rally cry? Yeah, what's our rallying cry? I don't know. Do we have one? Two-headed nerd. Fart you, fart hole. <laughs> fart you, fart hole. Yeah, I think that's our. I think that's it. There it is. I mean, that's what we always yell before we beat somebody up. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Thank you for your question, BS3. If you've got a slightly awkward comic book question that you'd like to ask using a pseudonym so as not to embarrass yourself in front of your peers, this is the place. This is where you do that. Email your question to twoheadednerd at gmail.com with the subject line Ask a Nerd or. There's a special spot for it on the THN forums. That's true. Which is where this question came from. Or you could call and leave a message and ask the nerds, and we will play that message oh, yeah. on this show. Absolutely. There you go. Excelsior! Oh. <laughs> that is it for THN 498. But before we get out of here, Joe Patrick, ask these nerds a new question of the week. 
This week's question comes once again from New Guy via the THN forums, who is gunning for that Goocher status. Mm, new Guy, watch out. I've gotten a lot of suggestions for good comics from my friends and this show. I just finished one, Punisher Born, which was one hell of an origin story. I'm beginning to think I've been spoiled by all the good books, and I want some true nerd wisdom. I've got years of the comic book experience to catch up on, and that includes years of disappointment and anger. <laughs> Punisher Born was great, but now I need to punish myself. I need to earn it! Can you tell me the worst origin story you've ever read? I don't care why it's bad. It could be bad writing, pointless character, stupid retcon, whatever. If I can find it, I'll read it so I can get some goddamn perspective and bonus points if it can be found on Marvel Unlimited because I'm not paying extra for that shiz if I don't have to. I will say, though, this is not... Let's not leave it at Marvel Unlimited. No, don't limit it to Marvel Yeah, because there's plenty of bad origin stories out there. I want to hear the worst. And not, like, purposefully bad, like, because no, no, no. it's comedy. No, like, like it's they, just they fucking thought stupid. they were killing it. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> You're right. like, oh, when people read this... Now they're going to take Sinja seriously, you know. Like. <laughs> THN is a listener-supported podcast. We want to thank everyone that sacrifices their hard-earned cash by throwing it into the caldera of the volcano that is the two-headed nerd. This is money they could be spending at their local comic book store every week, but instead they choose to spend it supporting this show on PayPal and Patreon. Without you nerds, we can't afford our pristine... Bad Rock miniseries that established the origin of Youngblood member Bad Rock. He became Bad Rock. Okay, thank you yeah, for yeah, clarifying. <laughs> he was Bad Rock, he became Bad Rock. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to legendary war and Western artist Russ Heath, who passed away on Thursday at age 91 after a battle with cancer. You know what? It, it's nice to hear about an old guy dying at an old age. I feel like there's been a lot of young guys going recently. Right, you know? yeah. Good for you, Russ. He started out at Timely Comics, a.k.a. Marvel, in the late 40s. His career spanned decades, during which he co-created The Haunted Tank and Sea Devils for DC, and his art was straight up stolen by Roy Lichtenstein yeah. to create pop art, a uh, very famous million-dollar pop yep. art paintings. I'm sure he took care of him, though. I'm yeah, sure. right. Yeah. Uh, I originally wrote that it was that his work inspired, but turns out, no. No. Lichtenstein just stole that shit Straight and never paid or stolen. credited anyone. Anyway, happy trails, Mr. Heath. Thank Word you for you, everything. Mr. Heath. He inspired so many creators. I it's love. insane. I love his work. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer just might come and steal some original art from you. This two-headed nerd. Signing up. We make these retailers sound like real assholes every yeah, week. Because they are. <laughs> it's true.